This is the You Define podcast with your host, Jackie Staniak, where we navigate our way through your story from your perspective while honoring the people, places, and circumstances that have defined you. That disordered girl still lives in me. She's just not bigger than who I am now. Meet Allie with an I. Believer, wife to Jared, mom of one, daughter to two parents who are happily in love, sister to two brothers, dog lover, the sweetest soul you'll ever meet, and the keeper of a complex yet beautiful story. We're going to start her story at the age of five, when she joined cheerleading. Dipping her toes in a sport ended up being a 15-year investment to a community and culture of people who would impact her greatly. We are talking competitive cheerleading, club cheer, stunting, flying, tumbling, the whole gamut. Allie recalls the first time she started to notice her body changing in middle school. I was laying in bed and, you know, from like seventh grade to eighth grade, it was like all the hormones, body change, and it happened, felt like overnight. And I remember looking down at my side and I saw these lines on me because stretch marks were coming in and I was horrified that my body was changing. So I just scratched them and I tried to scratch them off literally. And after that, it was like, my body has changed forever. Now what, now I can't change that. What can I obsess about? And it became the number on the scale. So when I finally reached hundred pounds, which is totally normal for an eighth grader that like rocked my world. So it was from then on, it was like, Okay, so I just will be very regimented and I will just have the same thing every day because I know I can control that. So it would be the exact same breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And what my dad did for exercise would be an elliptical, which was like his norm. He would go down in the morning and he would have his little time on his elliptical. And I was like, oh, there's another, there's something I can do too. So I started doing like, I didn't know it at the time, but fasted cardio at the age of like 14, 13 or 14. I do it every morning. And it was like, okay, now I'm able to eat and that's what I will do. And my space was up and coming and I had a picture I had posted before a concert and it was like, oh my gosh, somebody had mentioned my size and how little I was. And it was like, that feels good. I'm going to obsess about that. I'm going to make sure that I get that kind of affirmation all the time from anybody that matters or doesn't matter. I want to be acknowledged for how fit and how little I look because and cheer, the littler the better. If you're fat, you don't fly. So, If you're fat, you don't fly. Those phrases are a dime a dozen in cheerleading. At least they were in Allie's experience. And after years and years of being submerged in that culture, they become embedded in your mind. They become the foundation in which everything pivots from, even if it is subconscious. I always reassured myself as, this is healthy because I want to be thin and I don't want to be overweight. And this is a, this is all that matters. So that just became my obsession, like all throughout high school, but it wasn't anything other than what I found to be healthy. I just, I I exercise, I exercise every day. That's, that's fine. My dad does it. And my dad doesn't have like this, you know, chiseled, thin, emaciated looking body. So what's the problem if I do it? So I did that. And then 
gosh, it might have been around this time that like my fitness pal came out where I could track everything that went into my mouth. And if I cleaned my room for 20 minutes, I logged that activity to know, okay, so I can have 45 extra calories today. So I will regiment out a quarter cup of grapes and then I will eat that. And still then it was like, well, I just, I'm eating excessive calories, which at this age, I probably was 17 or 18. And I was like, that's fine. You know, I'm, I'm cheering. I've got that activity, but I want to make sure that I look the best that I can possibly look. So I'm in little clothing a lot of the time because of cheer. And it just, I think it was just something that I could shift my focus to that didn't have to do with anybody other than myself. And it didn't have to be tied to any emotion. I, th- I didn't think, I didn't think there was any emotion tied to me eating, how much I ate, how much I could exercise because it was something I could control and it was an external factor. Allie is knee deep in controlling, tracking, and obsessing over her food. But she isn't alone in this. The cheer culture is feeding this obsession. It was this kind of like standing joke, like our diet consists of black coffee and cigarettes. Like it's just kind of what it was. And we would all share like this, like one similar food. And it was, oh, I only had a handful of those today. Or, oh, I haven't eaten anything yet today or whatever. And the thing is, is our bodies kept up, I think, just because we were young. But I mean, it was very well known. Everybody had some kind of disordered eating. Vividly remember before we went on to compete, So we're on a stage, we're in front of a crowd of people. We had two girls that we had to, they were forced to eat food before we went out because they were, they weren't eating. But to me, I saw that and I was like, wow, I wish I had that kind of control to not do that because I'm weak because I needed to eat today and because I couldn't do that. But look how good she looks. When I was younger though, I mean, my mom had a very positive relationship with exercise where like. My brothers and I, we would go to the YMCA and she'd drop us off at daycare in there and did the best freaking toys to play with. So I was like, my mom and she would go and she'd listen to Prince on her little Walkman and she would just have the best time ever. I mean, my mom, and then she'd leave and it was never like this obsession. It was just, I knew that the exercise my mom did made her happy. That's all I knew. My mom otherwise was like, she ate normal and she ate a healthy diet and... Yeah, never anything negative. And same with my dad. I mean, neither of them have these, like I said, emaciated bodies or like lean, obsessive bodies. It was, they just looked healthy to me. And so for me, my first introduction, I think, to disordered eating would probably have been just the sport that I did. The sport that she loved so much and devoted an immense amount of time and talent to. In fact, after high school was over and she was transitioning into the next phase of life, She was trying to figure out where and how cheerleading would continue to fit in. After all, she had built most of her life around this sport, and without it, she would have been a bit lost. One thing that is important to understand is that Allie was a flyer. For those of you who are not familiar with cheerleading, it's the girl at the top, in the air, getting tossed around, literally flying. So in a lot of ways, size and stature did matter. So as Allie's body attempted to grow and mature during different seasons of life in very natural and normal ways, she was bucking against it. If her size changes, then so does her cheerleading career. And then now I'm cheering college and it's like, okay, this is where I kind of got to ramp up again. I got to look good. I'm in front of all these peers, all these 
attractive guys. I want to make sure I get attention from men, women, all of it. I think the way that my body wants to be built, I think the way that I, my body just is, I just have a lower, like my lower body is just dense. So anything I could to avoid that, I don't think the degree I took it to, I think I still would have been pretty lean doing what I was doing and how much activity I was doing at the time. I would have been lean no matter what, right? And it was those six pounds were never going to matter. So it was like, it wasn't like I was exercising the way I do now. It was, look at me, I'm like trying to like defend that little eating disorder girl. I'm like, no, she still could exercise the way that she did and she was fine. No. The most success I ever felt was just accomplishing that, the, the little amount that I could eat. Once I hit the 1,200 calories though, in, in my little calorie counter, you're done. And if you even hit it, that's not a good day. We want, the goal is always 800, because I'm always working in a deficit for absolutely no reason other than I want to be as small as possible. And then became this pivotal moment where I began, I began to binge. And that was absolute rock bottom. It was this weird thing that I'd never experienced before where it was control was something that was the good part. And then all of a sudden I didn't have that anymore. And it was, okay, well then I would rebound, right? And then the next day it was like, okay, drink as much coffee as you can because we're going to hope to flush all this out and no food for you. And so I would from sunup until, I don't know, I don't know, nine o'clock at night when everybody started going to bed, I, nothing. And then it was game on. What can I get my hands on? And I would just eat and eat and eat until I was physically sick. And then I would just hide all of those empty containers because I would open like cereals. I would open brand new boxes, right? And I would eat the whole thing. And then I would have two boxes of cereal and then I would shove it to the bottom of the garbage or I'd take it outside to the garbage and then it was like you lost you're a failure good luck again tomorrow you're gonna do the same thing and it just became this vicious cycle that happened for months and it was like yep you failed finally you know you're not successful you can't you can't abide by those rules anymore and so it just became this more and more toxic relationship of okay well now you need to go on diet pills and now you need to go on um, like must or stool softeners and it just became more and more toxic because I it was rebound from success of during the day good job you didn't eat anything now if you just keep going for a couple of days you can undo all that you screwed up last night and it never you right it never happened up to this point what's at the center of Allie's disordered eating is control and when everything around her feels out of control What she puts into her body gives her the illusion that she's still in control. I had a brother that was battling addiction and I had to face that. And I, we would have these screaming matches with each other because at that time we both lived underneath my parents' roof and we just would get into these horrible, horrible arguments about, I couldn't even tell you what they were about anymore. And I think Having to face that every single day and knowing I was coming home to that, I think that just, that was too much. I think eventually that just kind of tipped that scale of control. I could control all these other things. 
I think things started going really well for me. I didn't have that toxic relationship with a boyfriend. I didn't have, I didn't seem to obsess about my body as much because I had other positive things going on, I think. So I was cheering. I had those friends. And then all of a sudden it was like my home life was disrupted. And that was supposed to be, you know, your safety net. And it wasn't, it wasn't that anymore. And I guess just one specific fight, I couldn't specify what it was about, happened between my brother and I. And I drank to excess. And I woke up the next morning and my entire room was covered in vomit. My mom came in and she was like, they, did the cat throw up? What happened? And it was, I was like, no, that, that was me. Like I vomited in my sleep. Like how much, that's how much alcohol I had drank. And it was, it was mortifying. And I will never forget that feeling of waking up and being like, you are confronted with all of your demons right now. Like you, there's no hiding this. And after that, it was just, well, I think just the chemical release of eating was really great. And for some reason it became something that I just did. I don't know why. I don't, I don't, it just was like, okay, well, I don't think in that moment I was like, oh, I'm starving. If I eat something, I'll feel better. It just was, I remember that happening. And then shortly after it was like, okay, well, this is just something that I do. I, I don't know why those two kind of correlated, but it was that. And then the disordered eating, the no eating, binge eat at night, no eating, binge eating at night. And it was months of that. I remember like putting on my, my cheer uniform and it was a good barometer, right? Like, do you fit into this? Are you a lard ass? Are you losing control? Then that's not going to fit. So if it didn't, then that meant more laxatives or more punishment. However, that came about, but it was, you'd be punished. And if I knew we had a game on Saturday or a game on Tuesday and Thursday, I had to, I had to plan for my failure that night. So it was like, okay, so what do you plan on? What are you thinking about in your fridge? What do you think about in the freezer? What do you think about in the pantry that you can binge eat and still not eat tomorrow and make up for this cycle that you have to look presentable in a uniform? Allie's brother moves out of their parents' house, and the constant worrying and tension dissipates. She found herself experiencing freedom from the binge-don't-eat cycle, but a new transition was on the horizon. Cheers over. Now I have to find a different identity. So um, I graduated with my associates, and I was like, all right, well, I don't, I don't even know what the next step is, right? Because my life was cheer. It was, how do I get to the next step of cheering? So can I go to a four-year university and do this? Is this attainable? And I find out that I got into nursing school like a month before it starts. So I'm like, all right, this is my next, this is the next phase of life. So I go through nursing school. I get near to the end and I met my ex-husband during that time. I was, met him at a gym and um, probably one of the most unattainable people I've ever met just which for me pure success this is this goal right like if I can get somebody who is unattainable to love me and to want to marry me like girl you made it right and we did we um we met within three months we were engaged and then we're married 13 months later after meeting 
this relationship just, it was a constant chase of I, I want to be loved and I want to be catered to and I need to have all these affirmations because that, the wedding, the marriage certificate, it wasn't it, right? Because why would it be? I'm going to constantly be chasing something that isn't there. Um, I don't fault my ex-husband for anything. This was just both of us. I think we were just both very young. And I saw unknowingly something that I could hopefully achieve. So even like, I remember us getting married. It was like, oh man, like we never thought he'd get married and you locked him down. Like awesome. And it was like, oh, fantastic. I've, I've made it right. And it's no, no. So it's still this constant chase for something else that approval and success and it never it never happened because that's not what marriage is that's not what you are that's not what you have a partner for and so that that marriage ended because obviously I'm trying to get something out of this relationship and he's trying to get something else out of it and we never saw eye to eye so we ended up getting divorced that was I think my ultimate failure, like I failed as a wife, I failed as a Catholic, even though I didn't really relate to being a Catholic, it was just everything. Like you could never get this man to love you the way that you wanted to be loved. And that was because of you. So whatever you did, whether you weren't fit enough, you weren't good enough, you failed in every other aspect of being attractive to this man. Everything she knew about herself had changed. Cheer was over and her marriage had ended. She started going to a Christian church where people started to share with her how worthy and loved she is. But being loved with no strings attached in her mess and imperfection was something she had a hard time wrapping her head around. Absolutely no way. Nope. I'm here to pay my dues. I got divorced. I filed for divorce. I'm damaged goods. And then after just a lot of praying and being a part of groups and stuff it was like okay maybe maybe I do deserve love insert my now husband and I fought that man to the nail to not be loved it was like I'd have this constant tug of war of like maybe I'm maybe I'm maybe I maybe I do get a second chance at love and then it's how dare you even think that get rid of him scare him be mean to him say things that are completely off the wall inappropriate and he still continued to fight back for for me and it was always like this man's crazy I I don't deserve him maybe maybe I can get him set up with somebody else that he he deserves and I can I'll be punished for the rest of my life and I can watch from afar despite her greatest efforts to reject Jared's love or even justify why she didn't deserve it he wasn't giving up the fight though it didn't come easy Allie settled into a relationship with him, and they entered the next phase of life together. So enter the next phase of disordered eating. I'm going to obsess about every little ache and pain that I have. So what is it? What is causing it? It's in the soil. It's in the food that I'm eating. It's in the air that I'm breathing. It's in the clothes I wear. Everything is riddled with toxins. So let's just get rid of all that. So enter me doing um, a program called nutritional therapy, which wonderful, loved it. I learned so much, but it also introduced a new way to obsess about my food 
and what I put in my body. And it wasn't to the toxic level of binge eating. So that was, again, something that was like, well, I've conquered that, this eating disorder because I don't binge eat. And, but now I obsess about where did these eggs come from? What do the chickens look like that laid them? Let's trace it back to the nook and cranny. And if that's okay, then I pass. All right, now moving on to the next thing. What am I cooking it in? How long have you had that pan? How long have you had any, whatever. It just became all the way down to the gnat's ass. How perfect is this food that I'm going to eat? Okay, check mark. It's all wonderful. Now, how am I eating it? You didn't chew it enough. You're not sitting down and eating it. Did you sit down and say grace and think everything that went in to make this? God, thank you for the person that woke up in order to package the coconut oil that I put in my pan this morning to make my eggs. Now, thank you for the chicken that laid that egg. And it just became every little thing that I put into my mouth. I needed to make sure that it was at the most pristine thing so that I could heal my body. And if something went wrong, it was something I did, right? So that food that you made, maybe it was perfect, but then now it's on you. You didn't chew that enough. You were stressed while you ate it. You didn't go outside and get yourself to a complete place of calm before you ate it. And then that was my fault again. This whole phase kind of happened right after my divorce and again, enter in my husband now and he joined this journey with me. We did it together. We went through these and I, you know, put that man through the ringer of, well, I, we both need to be in the best health that we can be in order to see if this is something that would work. So here is your first test. Exhausting. Allie was tired. She was tired of thinking and preparing, obsessing, worrying. She was tired. She wanted to be done. Done with everything. I am, I'm, I'm trying to create some kind of homeostasis, so I'm taking a bath. And I've got all the essential oils and the right candles, and they're not close enough to me to be toxic. And I, I'm at the lowest point of my life. I'm like, I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. And all I can think about is ways to successfully not be here anymore. And Jared and I, I don't think we were, uh, I think we were maybe in an argument or something, but I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to go take a bath and everything will be okay. Like, I'm just, I'm going to do all these self-care things. And I'm sitting in the tub and I'm sobbing and Jared comes in and he's, what is wrong? And I'm just like, I want to be here and I have a plan and I don't want, and I'm going to execute it. And he gets into the tub with me fully clothed and just holds me as I cry. And then the next day I made an appointment with somebody to talk about why, why am I feeling this way? Enter two years of therapy and lots of clarity. And yeah, that pivotal point, me in the tub and then someone having no no reason to love me at that moment and they did and who cares about and for me being like anxious and overthinking everything I'm like his clothes his clothes are going to be wet like this is ridiculous and he did it he just fully clothed in the tub holding me I'm in, I'm mortified first of all and second of all how dare anybody love me at this point in my life 
God left the 99 to find the one, and Jared is Jared is doing the same act towards me. So I'm worthy of love in this one moment, and maybe I'm worthy of love in other moments. And then all of a sudden, something happens, and I don't, I don't know if it's that the instance in the tub. I don't know if it's the free feeling of I don't need to deserve, I don't need to earn anything. But I just, I kind of start to live for like the first time in my life. Like my, my food doesn't define who I am anymore, and I'm able to go to dinner, and I'm able to make sure you try this one meal because it's wonderful. I'm going to do that and I'm not I'm not going to obsess about it later. I still exercise is still huge for me and I think mentally chasing like those endorphins, I just know for me, I always say it's kind of like the activator medication to make my antidepressant work. So I'm on um I'm on a medication that works really well with PTSD, anxiety and depression, which all of I have. Um, I'm under the care of a psychiatrist who I have to check in with every three to six months. Um, the medication works great for me through therapy, and I would was seeing my therapist at the most two times a week for like six to eight months. And then um, I've been able to kind of back off of that because I realized a lot of my behaviors and just of the flow of how I process them because I was able to control the reaction I had and it wasn't the spiral anymore it was okay well I have these tools now that my therapist has given me and I'm very successful with with them and with dealing with these adversities in my life whether it be with family whether it be with my job whether it be with Jared it's just I realized that the problem is always going to change but like my reaction is something that it doesn't have to be as chaotic and absolute the way it was before. Now it's like, no, nope, it's okay. If you see a few extra pounds, it doesn't mean you're a bad person. It doesn't mean you failed. It doesn't mean you've let yourself go. It's okay. If you want to interact with this story more, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at You Define Podcast. Thank you for finding yourself here, for staying a while. But I have to ask, what defines you?